What if our theology could get up from our armchairs and move into our world? That would be something worth paying attention to. This is the Armchair Anabaptist Podcast. Lay your guns down, down on the floor. There ain't no good in those guns anymore. Shake my head and let me kiss your cheek. And let our friendship be sweet. because Mennonites have usually found that the way to faithfulness is to separate from others. You know, and eventually, if only I am here, then at least I'll agree with myself. And I don't think that we can say we love someone and then shoot them. That doesn't make sense. I always tell folks that, you know, look, if you're in a debate and winning the debate becomes more important than reflecting love towards the person you're debating, then do the kingdom of God a great service and shut up. How do we encourage people to see nonviolence as something more than a position about war? Because we're not just sitting around doing podcasts and theology. We're actually trying to live our lives as Christians. This is a reckoning between you and me. The writing of all wrongs as we eat and as we drink. You're listening to the Armchair Anabaptist. This is episode number 12, You're Gonna Have Them. I'm Kevin Weeb, And I'm Jesse Penner. And we are your hosts. We've been talking a lot over this season about loving our enemies. And of course, Jesus talks a lot about loving our enemies. But something that shouldn't be missed as we talk that way is the fact that Jesus' teaching presupposes that we are going to have enemies. It's kind of built into his teaching that they will exist. So what do we make of that, and, and why is it significant in the way that we think about our relationships with others? We have an excellent panel of guests that we are going to be talking to about this today. We're going to be talking to Pastor Melissa Florer-Bixler, to Dr. Greg Boyd, to Dr. Carol Penner, to Pastor Cameron McKenzie, as well as Stephanie, Travis, Jennifer, and Deborah from the Many Rooms Church Community, which is a network of house churches in Winnipeg's North End. We're going to kick things off with Pastor Melissa Florer Bixler. She's the pastor of Raleigh Mennonite Church, and she actually authored a book on exactly this topic called How to Have an Enemy. So we asked her, what are we to make of the fact that Jesus seems to suggest that we will have enemies? Yeah, I, I do think that this is one of the, um, the big questions that often gets overlooked in this question of how to love your enemies is the... A uh, question that actually comes before that, which is, who are my enemies? <laughs> and um, I think, uh, yeah, hearing in Jesus' um, proclamation there that there's some assessment that he's anticipating that we have been through to be able to um, talk about what that what that means actively um, and persistently in our lives. And it's that assessment that I think we've actually been given an opportunity for in perhaps in a new and more intensive way in this sort of season of our social and political lives. Um, so in some ways, not to be too Pollyanna-ish about this, but some real opportunities for us to, I think, dig deep into this question in our, in our communities and churches. Dr. Carol Penner is a professor and the director of theological studies at Conrad Grable University College. 
We asked her this question as well about how loving our enemies makes the assumption that we will in fact have enemies. And what are we to make of that? And why is that so significant? This is what she had to say. I think we sometimes think of enemies as being out there somewhere, uh, people who hurt us. But in fact, when you look at where violence happens, for the majority of people in Canada today, uh, that would be women and children, that's the majority of people in Canada, violence will happen to them in their home. They will be hurt by someone they love, someone who loves them, uh, by an aunt, by an uncle, by a parent, by a neighbor, a babysitter, someone who's supposed to take care of them. And these caregivers, they hurt children, they sexually abuse them, or they beat them, or they psychologically abuse them. They make those children their enemies. We don't usually think about people in our family as our enemies. The irony is the children will keep loving you even though you hurt them, because that's what children do. But loving your enemy could mean loving your family member and not hurting them. Because as soon as you abuse someone, you're treating them like an object. You're not treating them like a, children of, a child of God. You're treating them as if their ideas and their feelings have no, um, no power, um, have no agency. For, for children, all they want to do is to have their parents love them. And if they get hurt, they blame themselves. They don't blame their parents. And so loving your enemy Boy, that could mean loving your family. Pastor Cameron McKenzie is the lead pastor of Fort Gary EMC. We asked him this same question. Here's his response. Well, of course we have enemies. I was just thinking when I read that question, just reflecting on them even today. Um, I was thinking of the church in Nigeria, the, the Catholic church in Nigeria just a couple of weeks ago, where the worshipers are in there worshiping. Are those people that came into the church enemies of the people in that church? Of course they are. They came in, they acted with violence, they took life, they've devastated a community. Of course we have enemies. And as I said at the beginning, our enemies span the spectrum from the very facile, unimportant kind of enemy um, to, to that kind of enemy where, where there is actually, there are mortal enemy in that sense. Um, it shouldn't surprise us, if we go back to the, if we go back to the story of humanity, um, and we, we, we look at the story of Cain and Abel, we understand right in, the, right in the beginning of this story, embedded in the story, is violence and conflict and animosity. Born out of jealousy, spiritual pride, whatever, uh, here's two brothers, one becomes the enemy of the other. And that, that story amplifies uh, throughout the book of Genesis, you get the story of, of, of Lamech who, who says, uh, you know, I have wounded a man for insulting me and killed a man for um, hurting my feelings, essentially. Uh, if, if Cain is avenged 70-fold, Lamech is avenged 77-fold. This idea that human violence is just is, is amplifying. And then, of course, Noah, the, the, the thoughts of men's hearts are evil continuously and the world's filled with violence. The state of animosity is the normal state of the world caught in sin. So it doesn't surprise me that we have enemies. Jesus assumes we'll have enemies. Paul assumes we'll have enemies. They all use the language of doing good to those who persecute you. That's what they did to the prophets before you. For example, you know, those kinds of lines are all there. And I think what that means is we, we should recognize that, that we're not being singled out in any strange way if we have enemies. 
That's one of the things I would take from it. Because it seems to me right now we live in a world where where Christianity has amplified the the, the, the martyrdom suffering uh, complex. Um, and I, I don't know that it's 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 valid. The fact that, that, that there are people who oppose what we want uh, or what we think God is calling us to do, well, that's just the normal state of affairs. It's The church has never existed in a place of complete uh, equilibrium with everybody around them. And, and in fact, if you look at the history of the church, more often than not, different groups within the church have been the most virulent enemies of other groups within the church. It uh, it wasn't the pagans that, that martyred Anabaptist or Anabaptist ancestors or forebearers, right? It was other Christians who said these Christians need to go or whatever the case might be. So, yeah, I, I, I just, I, it doesn't surprise me that we have enemies. Maybe the problem with enemy is that in our world, we've taken the enemy, we, we always think of enemy in the most intense terms, and we don't have a sense of perspective on what an enemy is, and that there are degrees of ways in which people have animosity towards us. And at the very least, we should be able to calibrate our responses to those, you know, um, to those kinds of things. Think think about the the vote we're having in the conference on on women in ministry, for example. You start talking about voting. As soon as you're talking about voting, you're talking about people who want one thing and a group of people who want something else. Well, there's animosity, or there's at least there's at least competition there. I wouldn't call those people enemies of each other, but that so that's on one side of the spectrum. But it it keeps flowing all the way all the way along there. So. Dr. Greg Boyd is pastor at Woodland Hills Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. He's also the author of many books, including The Crucifixion of the Warrior God. We asked him what we should make about the fact that Jesus seems to assume that we are going to have enemies in our life. See, I, I think yeah, we will have enemies, people who oppose us, uh, people who just hate us, maybe. Um, so they're enemies in terms of their stance towards us. But I don't think there's... It's supposed to be enemies in terms of our stance towards them. Um, how can it be when our call is to love them? And so we're to see them. Yeah, here's a person who is maybe opposing me and wants to do ill by me. And But my job is not to reciprocate, never retaliate. Uh, this quid pro quo game that the world plays. I hit you, so you hit me twice as hard, so I hit you four times as hard. So now you bomb my house, so now I bomb your city. And, and the merry-go-round goes on. We're to be a people, I believe, who are called to opt off, off of that. Never retaliate. Um, that's why Jesus says, do not resist an evildoer. Uh, just prior to saying, uh, love your enemies and bless those who persecute. Do not resist. And the word resist there, antistami in, in Greek, uh, it doesn't mean to become a doormat. Uh, it just means don't reciprocate in kind. Uh, don't respond to a push with a push or a slug with a slug or a bullet with a bullet. But rather, get, get in the way, but you have to do it in ways that are consistent with showing love towards the other person. And, um, and and so that means they, they, they can't be considered our our uh, our enemies. Uh, I, I'll say one more thing, and that is that Paul says that you know, remember our this is Ephesians six twelve, uh, our 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 battle our struggle is never against flesh and blood, never against flesh and blood, never against other human beings, but it's always against the principalities and powers and dominions and rulers and authorities in dark places. And and here's the thing about this verse. Those powers, if you understand it in the New Testament apocalyptic context, those are the fallen powers that are always trying to get us to identify other human beings as enemies. 
uh, again, they want to cause us to self-implode. And so the only way we can be loving our all flesh and blood is by resisting those powers, the powers that pull us to self-preservation, the powers that pull us to our trust in violence and, and all the rest. We've got to be battling the principalities and powers in order so we can continue to love unconditionally all flesh and blood. We're never to regard them as our enemies. I've enjoyed this conversation, uh, the different things that have kind of come out. It seems to me that there's a few big themes that are running through this, right? First of all, uh, the identification of enemies, right? How do we understand who our enemy is? Second is the question of how intense is that relationship, right? I think there was a helpful, some helpful distinctions made about going, just because we have an enemy doesn't mean it needs to be this monumental thing. There are degrees of enemies and there are degrees of relationships that we have with people. And maybe the third thing is the recognition, uh, and Dr. Greg Boyd talked about this, I think it was helpful to remember that just because we recognize and acknowledge that somebody may be an enemy to us, it does not mean that we ourselves need to be postured as an enemy towards them. An acknowledgement of animosity or having an enemy doesn't automatically mean that there needs to be sort of open conflict coming from both sides. There's also another part that Dr. Boyd mentioned, and that's a recognition of the true enemy, that while uh, the spiritual powers that be would love nothing more than to have us as always putting all of our um, animosity towards other people, but that our true enemy is actually the spiritual forces of darkness, you know, as Ephesians 6 talks about, and that there's a, there is a true enemy out there, um, that we need to posture ourselves against, and that is the forces of darkness, the forces of evil, but that human beings are not our true enemy, and that our posture towards one another as human beings, even if their posture towards us is that of an enemy, that we posture ourselves towards them, as has been mentioned, uh, as, as, as a diff- in a different way, that our, our response is that of love. And, and I appreciate the words of Paul in this, in the New Testament, that as far as it depends on us to live at peace with everybody. Right. Dr. Boyd actually kind of made that even stronger as he talked about the fact that there is nothing more that our true enemy would love to do than to make us refocus or reframe this into thinking of other people as our primary enemies. We'll be right back. off on just a little bit of a rabbit trail here. As I was talking with Pastor Cameron, uh, one of the questions that came to mind for me was, was wrestling with, there are verses in scripture that talk about persecution, and maybe especially over the last couple of years and some of the tensions that have come up, the political tensions, the differences of opinion over things, there has been maybe a growing sentiment in the North American church, or in pockets of it, 
that we should expect to have enemies and persecution and that actually it's a sign that we're living in the correct way to have the world sort of begin to hate us or come after us. And there can become a little bit of a, maybe an unhealthy martyrdom complex that comes from expecting or actually even seeking out enemies in the world by the way that we behave or act. I asked Cameron if this was something that he saw as well. Sure, I, I think it can. I think one of the things that uh, when you say, you know, love your enemies and assume that you're going to have enemies puts us into a conflict-based relationship. And once you're in a conflict-based relationship, um, you, begin, you, you begin constructing all of life in terms of that, of that conflict. This is a competitive world. It's competitive for resources, it's competitive for voice, it's competitive for power, um, and then you start sanctifying your desire for resource, your desire for power, your desire for voice and influence as somehow being a part of your God-given calling, right? And you, you, you somehow you begin to sanctify the kind of life that you have so that anyone who opposes the life that you have is now opposing God's will. There is, a, uh, there, there is this sense where um, sometimes we have to deal with enemies of our own making. And, and Paul is actually really clear on this, right? As far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. We, 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 can, we create a lot of the animosity that we experience in our, our lives. Um, in any given interaction, um, others are only 50% of the problem. So when I approach somebody, I have to assume that I'm 50% of this interaction. And I have to take 100% responsibility for 50% of what goes wrong, if something goes wrong. And I can only take 100% responsibility for 50% of what goes right. And, and so, so there is this, this thing where what you're talking about, I think, is we make our own enemies. We really do. Um, and we make them because of the ideological, political, social conventions we live in. We're shaped by so many factors. Uh, even the way, even what we think the Bible says about us. I did this with students frequently. I'd ask students to tell me, you know, how many of you grew up in a church? Like you spent your entire life living in the church. And at, at Providence, that would be 75% of the students in a classroom. And then I'd say to them, none of you have read the Bible for the first time. You've just never done it. It was, it was read, interpreted, shaped, delivered to you from little picture books you read as an infant all the way through Sunday school. By the time you were actually reading these words for yourself deliberately and thoughtfully, you had a whole almost casting concrete view of what this story was about and who you are and how you're supposed to react. And so I think we do need to be really careful about that and that we don't assume every time we see disagreement with us or every time we see pushback against us, we're actually looking at a real enemy and that we develop the habit of looking at ourselves and maybe learning to trace some of the roots of our conflict with other people to ourselves. Um, that, that, that's a really important um, qualification. Our conversation with Dr. Greg Boyd took a similar turn. We ended up talking a little bit about Christian nationalism as well and acknowledged the persecution complex that can sometimes exist within the North American church. Well, I, I, I think Jesus tells us to expect persecution. If, if he was persecuted, then so you'd be persecuted. Um, but Jesus did say, therefore, arm yourself and fight back. <laughs> you know, he said, put away your sword. If you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. Uh, you know, 
the folks that get involved in Christian nationalism, I, I, I will, you know, love believes all things and hopes all things. And so I just assume that they're sincere people who are, in my opinion, very, very, very misguided. And I think it's very, very dangerous. You mix religion and violence and it's never good. It's, it, 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 it's capable of, I mean, religion is like, like, like just injecting steroids in this stuff. Whatever people would normally do, well, if you put God in it, well, they'll, they'll do it more passionately. And sadly, the, all of the stuff in the, in the church history that is abysmal and terrible and how we tortured people and all that, that comes out of a Christian nationalist mindset. The minute we identify the kingdom of God with a nation, uh, boom, it, it, it's, it, it's not going to look beautiful. It's, it's going to be a, a, a quote-unquote Christianized version of the kind of nationalistic impulse that people have always had. And the thing is, is in my opinion, when, when you fuse the Christian faith with, with a, the interests of any nation, well, all you've done is just paganize Christianity. Um, all nations... They almost all throughout history have fought for God and country in the name of some God and for some country. Um, so the idea that we will fight for God and country is not a uniquely Christian thing. It's a mantra of paganism that goes back to Homer. You know, they're always fighting in the name of some deity or whatever. Um, and then we just make Jesus one of those deities, the right one, which is what everyone else is doing with their deities. Now, to follow Jesus is, is to follow him on the way of the cross. And that's to go the opposite way. And to do this, you may have to crucify your common sense because our common sense has been formed by the, the pattern of this world. And it's just common sense. It just makes sense that if your enemy is going to kill you, well, you got to kill them first. If they're going to persecute you, well, then we're going to go after them first. It, common sense. Uh, but it, here's what I always say in response to that. It, I mean, on the one hand, you got to ask, what's, what is our Lord, uh, Jesus or our common sense? Uh, and the answer has got to be Jesus. Jesus has got to trump our common sense if it comes to that. But the second thing is, um, if, if I find that my common sense is in violation to Jesus, I have to assume that the problem is with me, not Jesus. And, and, and so what I encourage people to do is this. Usually what people do is, and this starts with, with Augustine most clearly, is when they say, look, obviously, if someone's going to kill you, you should kill them. If someone's going to kill your family, well, then you should kill them. If that's justified violence. That's just war theory. And if I'm going to, if I, it's, if it's obvious, common sense, that I should defend my, my, my me and my, my loved ones, well, then why not my neighbor? Because yeah, I'm supposed to love my neighbor. And if my neighbor, why not my state? And and so, boom, now Jesus' teaching about loving enemies gets reduced to, hey, don't be, don't, don't, don't retaliate against a grouchy neighbor you've got. But it, it completely takes out the, the, the radical uh, dimension of, of the whole thing. So what I teach folks is this. Let's assume that we're in the wrong, that there's something wrong with our common sense. And, but maybe if we start practicing loving our enemies in all, all these little ways, you know, because people always go to this extreme. What, they're going to kill you. What, they're going to kill a loved one. What, they're going to rape your wife. That doesn't happen most of the time. And, you know, the thing is, is that when, 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 it, when, when something that terrible happens, um, no one is going to be thinking, oh, what's the rule I'm supposed to follow? When, when, when you're in those situations, you operate out of your character. So maybe if we started loving enemies in little ways before we get to the catastrophe, um, like I, I think that every day we should be praying for our quote-unquote enemies. Uh, with my congregation, I instruct them, remind them all the time, um, 
to be picking out the three to five people or people groups that you have the hardest time loving. Think of the politicians that drive you the most crazy, make you the most angry. Pray for them every day. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting that, and I didn't notice this as just this last year, but enemies is the one group that Jesus specifically tells us to pray for. He doesn't say pray for, pray for the, you know, for, for the Romans and pray for the, uh, you know, the Samaritans or whatever. Pray for your enemies. And I think that's because that's a that's a muscle we've got to be flexing. Otherwise, we, we, we aren't going to use it. And so if I start praying for my enemies every day, maybe then I'll develop a character over a year or five years or 10 years that's such that, God forbid, but if anyone does break into my house and is threatening me or my loved ones, um, now I'll be operating, I'll actually see the wisdom in, 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 in not killing this person uh, because my character has been formed. And, and, and yeah, so that, that's, I think, an absolutely indispensable practice. We won't naturally grow into loving our enemies. If we're not intentional at loving our enemies continually and forming our character in that direction, I guarantee you we will be hating our enemies. And um, to that degree, we're not, not at all following the teachings of Jesus. This conversation about a martyrdom complex and thinking the world is out to persecute us as North American Christians. I mean, I know there is legitimate persecution in the world. It does exist. And Jesus does talk about persecution. But one of the interesting things to me, as I've read the scriptures, is this little passage in the Sermon on the Mount, actually, where, where Jesus is telling them about persecution and he says in Matthew 5:11, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And then Jesus says this, and remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. And so Jesus is comparing their persecution to the ancient prophets. And so we might look at that and we might miss that little piece and we might think, well, yeah, the, the prophets were persecuted and just think it's the world. But no, the prophets were persecuted by the people of God. And when I look around, I sometimes see a lot of Christians hurting other Christians, that I see a lot of the people of God doing a lot of harm to other people of God. And sometimes I wonder, are we the biggest persecutors of one another? And then it causes me to wonder as well, have I been someone who has been needlessly persecuting another Christian instead of being someone that is loving my enemy? Absolutely. I think uh, we sit in a privileged position in North America as Christians, as a part of the church, and uh, there probably is some truth to the fact, probably a lot of truth to the fact, that as we think about the idea of persecution, the first question we should be asking ourselves isn't, are we being persecuted? Maybe the first question we should be asking ourselves is, are there ways in which we are persecuting or going after people who think differently than us in ways that Jesus never intended?
What you are about to hear is a roundtable discussion from Many Rooms Community Church, which is a network of house churches in Winnipeg's North End. Stephanie, Travis, Jennifer, and Deborah were gathered around a table discussing this idea about having enemies, or do we have enemies? Who is our enemy? This is Jennifer. Well, I certainly don't have charitable thoughts toward, you know, my neighbors down the back lane who are partying up to a weird hour and, you know, the person who's breaking a big TV in the back lane to get some copper out and leaves a big mess. Like, I I don't necessarily consider them my enemies, but I feel at odds with what they're doing. And that that's one way I feel it. So you don't like what they're doing, not them. <laughs> right, I think we all whenever we have an enemy. And that, but that might be something that we've gotten so used to doing, we don't recognize that we are choosing not to make someone an enemy, right? Like, because we do have other friends who, in the neighborhood, who are just so angry at certain people for their bad behavior and feel very personally, uh, they feel like it's personal. And whereas I think we've taught ourselves that when someone breaks your window or you slashes the tire or, um, that they aren't an enemy. I don't know. Like, but but yet we could decide they were an enemy. So it's I don't they know. They can be a nuisance, but they're not really <laughs> an enemy. <laughs> <laughs> what what do you think, Travis? Because you've had a lot of situations where people have actually, I feel like it's been pretty personal in there. Yeah. So when someone like again. The Sunday school childish answer would be, yeah, well, if you have an enemy, just make them a friend and then you don't have enemies anymore, right? Like, <laughs> and that's kind of what we're talking about. Like, how do you define an enemy? And so, although I feel very strong that I'm called to love everybody, and, and that doesn't, that, that means everybody, even the person who doesn't like me, uh, I'm kind of assuming my enemies are the people who don't like me or who hate me. And so it would be easy to just match their way of thinking and their way of, viewing me as oh if you if you don't want to be my friend then I'm, I'm obviously not going to be your friend and therefore we're enemies um so i guess maybe that ties back to what i was saying earlier like when do you decide to not engage with someone who doesn't like you right because you can actually antagonize them with love right like you can say yeah mm-hmm. um so when is it appropriate to to not engage with someone uh, because it's just best for them to to deal with it themselves, right? Some of it is timing. Like when do you, like we had a neighbor who hated us just, so we kind of just stayed out of his way for the most part. But at the same time, we offer greetings and good day, whatever it is as you, you pass to know that, you know, it's not reciprocal, uh, the feeling. Like we still offer uh, love and friendship and whatever else, but if it's not picked up, then then you kind of respect that, right? And I guess also like in an environment, if you have a friend who's a, who's prone to stealing things, you're not gonna leave your wallet unattended on the table, right? Like out of kindness, you kind of remove it and just so he's not tempted. And so in some ways I think it's okay not to, you know, bake pies and remind them that I'm this person in your life that you hate, that you need to work on that relationship that we don't have. Um, hmm. So, I think it is, yeah, and so I think currently for the people that really don't like me, it is interesting for me to think, like, how do I best love them? Because I do sometimes greet them and, you know, let it be known that, hey, if they ever want to change their stance on on their thinking of me, then I'm, I'm open to that, right? Like, I'm still a neighbor, I'm still a friend, 
And yet I think sometimes that just stings for them to, to know that I'm not, because I think they're wallowing and they're, they're, um, they're in a situation where they're feeling that I'm this terrible person and, and they would like me to have those same negative feelings towards them, I think, right? Like for some reason, right? I don't actually know. I don't know what they think, but it's, it is difficult to, to know what is the best approach to, to love these people. I think that's where we've seen the beauty of the, the family of God sometimes and the, and the body of Christ is that there are, there are more of us to go around to love so that when there is a breach between myself and another person and we feel like we're enemies right now, well, I'm not the only person that is loving them as Christ loves them. There are other people's in, people in my community that are able to show them love and they're able to receive love from uh, and maybe not even within our church. Sometimes we've sometimes we've connected with another church in our neighborhood and said, "Can you love this person right now? Because there's a breach with us. We're struggling. We've had to have some boundaries, but you have a different relationship with them. And can you show up, show some love here right now?" And so the the family of God has many parts. The body of Christ has many parts. And so. When one part is unable to love right now, there are other parts, and, and Christ is in that, I think. We talked with Pastor Cameron McKenzie and asked the question, what does it mean to have an enemy in a Christian way? Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, do good to those who hurt you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despise you. I think that's what it looks like to have an enemy in a Christian way. And that is powerfully countercultural. Um, consider it all joy when you fall into trials. Um, there, there is this sense that that we, I think one of the things that we've bought into, part of the sort of the, just the general cultural consciousness that we've bought into is the idea that if there is somebody who is genuinely seeking our uh, seeking ill for us, somebody who genuinely despises us, somebody who is quite prepared to say all manner of of wicked and harmful things about us in public, and those people are there. That's another that's another category on that spectrum of enemies that we have. That that even if those people exist, what Jesus says is, bless them, pray for them, do good for them. Um, that's, that is, I think, how a Christian responds and loves their enemy. It's, it's, not, it's not complicated. It's challenging. It's really hard. But it's not complicated. To actually stand up, not even stand up, to go into the quiet place where you go and actually pray for the people that you're angry. Here was when the whole thing with Ukraine broke. And we were... We have a weekly group that meets on Friday mornings for prayer. And so obviously part of what we were praying for was uh, Ukraine. Um, we tried really hard to pray for Putin. We tried to pray really hard that he would remember his baptismal vows, that he would remember this, this piece of his life that he claims to care about his faith, right? I, I, I think that there is, that's a hard thing for us to do, but it's an important thing for us to do. That's also how we get past that preemptively judging who's in and who's out and who, who God's doing what with. So that's, that's how I think you love your neighbor. 
as a Christian, mm-hmm. or your yeah. enemy, sorry. We brought the same question to Dr. Carol Penner. We know now as Christians that we're going to have enemies. What is a Christian response to this? I think loving an enemy in a Christian way means being very clear about your own power and being very clear about who is a child of God, is that we are all children of God and that some children of God do have more power than other people. So for example, I have more power than my children. I can intimidate them, I can hurt them without them being able to defend themselves simply because I'm so much bigger than them and I have power over them. And so for me to love my enemy means I have to look at every single person and think about how am I using my power in relation to this person. And it is the vulnerable people we interact with who we make into our enemies. So for example, I had, um, my mother has since died, but she was very frail and in a nursing home. And she was very hard to deal with. And I was so angry with her sometimes. Like I was really angry with her. And I thought I could see myself hitting someone like this. I would think no Christian would ever hit an old person. And yet because there was this power differential and she wouldn't do what I asked her to do, I found myself having violent thoughts towards her. And can we admit that in the Christian church that when there are powerful, where there are power differentials, we are tempted to violence. We are tempted to make the people we love into our enemies. In another sense, when I think about the violence um, or when I think about the conflict that we see in Canada right now with all of the pandemic conflict and even political differences, how do we have a Christian, how do we be a Christian and have an enemy? It has to do with believing that everyone is a child of God and that we must treat people with respect and not bully them and not overpower them with our voice, but listen to them and hear them out and um, try to find ways to interact that give humanity to the situation rather than making it us versus them. This is what Pastor Melissa Flora Bixler had to say about what it means to have an enemy in a Christian way. Yeah, what I what I hear in in the life of Jesus, in the life of Israel, as the um, in its connections to the life of Jesus, um, is the sense that when we talk about enemies, we're really naming uh, that there is catastrophic sin, destruction, and death that impacts our world, um, and that often. Um, almost entirely um, uh, siphons through human beings and through relationships. Um, And the relationship of harm, uh, where one person has the ability, is able to execute harm over another person um, in a persistent way, um, is a relationship that we call enmity. Um, And once we begin to sort of think more intentionally about what that relationship means, we can also then open ourselves up to um, a God who wants to redeem even our enemies, right? That um, not simply um, has come for um, the the best people, the people who do well, um, um, but has a 
message of redemption through those who have experienced harm um, and destruction, who create a form of life um, that makes it possible for us to no longer live as enemies. Oh man, there's a lot of good stuff that we've covered today. I want to be careful about uh, playing favorites uh, because all our panelists today were my favorite, but I do really enjoy listening to the Many Rooms Community Church talk this through. Just something about sort of the down to earth, sitting around a dining room table and, and talking through real relationship, real situation, sort of active things that they're involved in and processing and kind of walking through with kind of messy edges and in messy life with other people. There's something really life-giving about them sort of letting us into their slice of life there and taking us along on that journey. There's something really profound about that and about just listening in on on something authentic, you know, and it, it reminds us as well that as we live our lives, we cannot do this alone. You know, they're part of a community that is is actively living and serving and worshiping together. But I, I know they would also be the first to remind you that they need Jesus in this. And as we live this life and as we encounter people who are enemies of ours or as we fail and make ourselves enemies of others, we need to come back once again to the cross. We need to come back once again to Jesus to rather uh, seek the forgiveness that we need for ways in which we have been enemies of others or to come to Jesus for the strength that we need to love our enemies and love those who have harmed us. Right. The question of what does it mean to have an enemy in a Christian way, I think comes back exactly to we have an enemy focused on Christ, right? That is where our eyes are fixed in the midst of these things. Our feature song today is a song called Be Heard by Brandon Post. Only think I'm heard about half the time you're the half I'm sitting here figuring out my mind And sure I'll let you interrupt, your thoughts are louder than mine I only think I'm heard about half the time I only really listen when I'm bored The other times I'm sitting here trying to recall the score Thinking about whom and what and how I love you more Only really listen when I'm bored So hold your tongue Wait till they're done Oh, quiet your heart Your mind is on the distance when it's dark Turn out the last light and finally hear my heart The ache becomes so well defined of how we're far apart Oh, I tend to feel the distance when it's dark So hold your tongue Wait till they're done Oh, quiet Wait till they're done 
is on the run. The Armchair Anabaptist is a Theodidactos podcast, and Theodidactos is a publication of the Evangelical Mennonite Conference. You can check us out online at www.thearmchairanabaptist.ca and find us on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. A special thanks to our guests who have joined us today. That was Pastor Melissa Florer-Bixler, Dr. Carol Penner, Pastor Cameron McKenzie, Dr. Greg Boyd, and the Many Rooms Community Church in Winnipeg. Our intro song is First Communion by Dane Jones-Hill, and our feature song today was Be Heard by Brandon Post. Our executive producer is Erica Fair. Our producer and audio engineer is Kevin Weeb, And our administrative assistant and wizard of all things web-related is Ruth Block. I'm Kevin Weeb, And I'm Jesse Penner. And we have been your hosts for the Armchair Anabaptist. We certainly hope that what you have heard today will do more than stay as merely food for thought, but that it can help inspire each of us to get up out of the comfort of our armchairs and translate into living more like Jesus. Join us next time as we continue our journey looking at the life of peace and hearing some real-life stories about how people love their enemies and hearing about some practical ways that we can do that as well. Join us next time on the Armchair Anabaptist. Anabaptist.